Hey, dentisting friends, this is Dr. Nacho. I'm so excited to be doing the Dental Nacho Supreme CE coming up soon. It is going to be 24 hours of live streamed virtual CE brought to you on your couch when you watch live. It counts as live. Miss an episode. It's going to be up in the group for the entire year. To learn more about this awesome opportunity, reach out to us at dentalnachos.com or email supreme at dentalnachos.com. My number one amigo, Rob, is going to be one of the uh, presenters for the Dental Nacho Supreme. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. It's going to be CE brought to you on your couch. Don't miss out. Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery. I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul, and welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Dental Amigos. Now, today, we're going to talk about student loan debt, and we're joined by Travis Hornsby, who is the authority when it comes to this subject. Travis is the founder of the Student Loan Planner, which is a financial consulting firm focused exclusively on helping people manage their student loan debt. Uh, Travis started the company after helping his physician wife navigate ridiculously complex student loan repayment decisions. And to date, Travis and his firm have personally consulted on over $650 million in student loan debt, which is believed to be more than anyone else in the country. And more importantly, have helped their clients save a projected $120 million, which translates to about $47,000 in average savings per client. So uh, real numbers, Paul. Uh, and uh, Travis is a charter financial analyst and brings the background and skill set from his former life as a bond trader, uh, where he traded billions of dollars in bonds to help people make good decisions about managing their student loan debt. So we're lucky to have uh, Travis with us today. And now, without further ado, here's Travis Hornsby. Welcome, amigo, and uh, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, it's great to be on. It's a shame that you have to be a bond trader to understand student loans, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's very telling. <laughs> Before we start, Travis, let's start with some hard-hitting questions. Uh, you're in St. Louis, so if we came out there, uh, where would we go for nachos, and what's your uh, favorite nacho topping? Ooh, that's a great question. So uh, I personally like these barbecue pork nachos that are in the restaurant just below where we live. Uh, it's this place called Barbecue Saloon in the Central West End. So that's a great place to get some really interesting nachos, kind of the kind of thing you probably wouldn't find in a place that had a really intense barbecue scene. Um, I like that. And for the first time, I'm now I'm now a, I'm treatment planning. That's a dental term. My nacho consumption because I might come to St. Louis for a. A big ASDA event in in 2020, so I'll uh, hit you up for those nachos. Yeah, and my backup plan for nachos is going to a St. Louis Cardinals game. So oh, they have I like these that. Catered, yeah, they have these tater tot nachos, which is a little bit untraditional, but they put all the good stuff on there: jalapenos, you know, uh, sour cream, all the different things you can imagine, and uh, you can only get those in certain parts of the ballpark. So. 
you know, we're we're really creative with nachos here in St. Louis. I, I like that. It's good. It's good to have a it's, a. it's good to have a backup nacho plan, Paul. You got to yeah, respect that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. that. Right? Contingency, <laughs> na- contingency nachos. Always be prepared. I like it. Sound like more hey, like special occasion nachos like, than a backup. Yeah, though, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like that's the the decadent treat. You know, it's like a you know game day. You yes, know? exactly. Uh, <laughs> special special uh, occasion nachos. Hey, uh, Travis. So. Um, uh, tell our listeners uh, a little bit about uh, what you do uh, and what Student Planner does for uh, for their clients. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So, so, Student Loan Planner is a basically a specialty firm. Like we only do student loan planning. So, of all the things in the world that dentists can get helped with, that's that's all we do. We just help people figure out what to do with their student loan debt. And luckily, that's more than enough for us <laughs> because it's a pretty big problem, right? So, we charge a, a flat fee. Um, around a few hundred bucks basically and we analyze all the different repayment options and try to explain how that fits into somebody's practice purchase decisions or if they're already in a practice you know how they run their practice how that relates to their student loan debt our goal is to basically make the student loan anxiety go away completely uh, or at least you know significantly reduce so that's that's the real outcome of a consult is once somebody understands exactly what to do student loans are not nearly as terrifying or worrisome anymore and people kind of get on with their lives and focus on growing their wealth and you know, doing all the things that normal people want to do, like, you know, kind of you know, start a family or, uh, you know, buy a house, um, you know, not be stressed, run your practice, things like that. Right. That's cool. So um, when you say that, you know, you're looking at all the numbers and looking at the data, uh, as, as, as I said, and when I was talking about your, your background and you, you joked before uh, we started talking about notches, um, <laughs> You know, it, this sounds like something that is perfectly suited to you know a skill set that you that you have and what you you kind of brought to uh, brought to the industry with your your bond trading experience. To tell uh, tell our folks uh, a little bit about that and kind of how you've been able to really leverage that to provide you know useful service to to people in the student loan consulting space. Yeah, sure. So you know, when I was trading bonds, like. I was working for an active bond manager for tax-free or you know municipal bond debt, so it was it was really pretty intense from a data perspective because you're looking through hundreds of thousands of different bonds trying to find ones that you think are mispriced or kind of ignored. So it's really different than the stock market. It's just a heavily kind of programming Excel-based kind of um, world. So I, I really kind of cut my teeth there, learning about you know Excel modeling, and then ended up dating my now wife who had all these student loans. Uh, kind of oh, this huge student loan debt from medical school. And I thought it was going to be easy, right? I mean, you have student loan debt, it's kind of, you think it's straightforward. You just pay it off, right? Um, but what I found was that there was all these payment plans where you could pay based on your income, and there were loan forgiveness options, and then there was also the ability to refinance, and there was a bunch of different companies that offered refinancing. So suddenly it went from this, you know, one path kind of thing where you just pay the government back what you borrowed to all of these different choices, you know, where you could potentially save a lot of money if you got it right. And so we actually were thought we were eligible for this not-for-profit uh, loan forgiveness program because she worked at an academic hospital. And it turns out she got bad advice and she consolidated her loans and she was on the wrong repayment plan. And, you know, the collective cost of that was probably like sixty or $70,000 oh, wow. in terms of lost um, money that, that we kind of missed out on just because we got, you know, crummy advice. And I thought, golly, this is pretty lousy. And so she had some, you know, friends in the medical field, but veterinary field, dental field, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, sort of started helping them out part time just for fun. Um, and then, you know, I traveled the world for a little bit and, um, basically just decided to make this my full time thing. Cause it was a lot more fun than, uh, just kind of 
flinging around bonds because the, the the difference is in the bond world super competitive like there's very smart people on wall street right it's really hard to do well outperforming the market really in anything uh even in something as inefficient as municipal bond trading um but uh but in student loans you know i can frequently save somebody you know tens of thousands of dollars on a projected basis because it's super complex and you know the the person you're competing against is the federal government which doesn't necessarily have a, a huge profit incentive on this right so people can just kind of get tripped up, kind of like their taxes. I would say there's a lot of analogies between taxes and student loan, you know, repayment because it's very complicated. And if you do a great job, it's not like anybody is upset because it's literally the government that's, you know, the on the other side of the table. So that's what we do uh, in a lot of cases is optimize forgiveness programs, and then sometimes it makes sense to just pay it back. And so we'll advise somebody on the best refinancing option. That's, that's awesome. Travis, a couple of things that come to mind for me. Uh, some of the things I do, I, I help coach young dentist and Rob and I work together on a lot of transitions. And I also, uh, work with, you know, I know more senior dentists, we call them seasoned age dentist, sad, cause that's, you know, fits their mindset, medium age dentist. I don't know if you're on dental nachos, we call them mad like me and baby age dentist bad. So these bad mads and sads are in this space together and there's a lot of misinformation. When would somebody ideally start working with you? You know, if you're a dental student or a resident or you're out of school, when, when would be the first time they'd connect with uh, you to sort of start to evaluate this? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can do it before you even go to dental school. If you know anybody that's in that boat, because we have, uh, we have a pre-debt consult for people to know what they're getting themselves into. Um, we launched that like a, maybe a month or two ago. Uh, our main service is after you graduate. So literally any time you, after you graduate, if you have more than probably 100,000 student loan debt as a dentist, we could probably help you enormously. So, and you know, the, the, the best time is as soon as you graduate, but you know, generally we can help somebody um, no matter how far away they are from graduation. Um, and if somebody's in dental school, <laughs> the best advice I could give someone is finish. <laughs> you know, no matter what, just get, get your degree. Like you're not going to be able to change a whole lot about your, your borrowing strategy once you're already in school. Um, so I would just say take out mostly federal loans. And, you know, we can help somebody who's really insistent on doing a consult in dental school. They can just book the same plan as everybody else does. There will just be fewer action steps to take. But I usually tell people, wait until you graduate and then just read our website before that. Gotcha. That's, that's great advice. I like to, Rob uses this term. I like to repurpose his terms. Interesting now that I've thought about it, he uses the term drill down. He's not a dentist. It just makes it makes me believe he always <laughs> wanted to be a dentist and I always wanted to be a lawyer. That's why we have this podcast. See, Paul, it's, it's, yeah. I spent so much time with dentists, I don't even realize. It's just like this subliminal yeah, thing. Yeah, drill like, down, drill, just like drill, us. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have a question. So I like stories, and you know, I think our listeners would appreciate it, and it would help me. You know, And I know we'll talk about a lot of different things, but I feel like these loan repayment options are like playing a game with my five-year-old Daphne where – the rules change all the time. I'm like, I thought I was safe over here. It's like, nope, we're not safe over there. And, you know, <laughs> from what I try to understand is, it's like, tell us about, like, I leave dental school, $500,000 in debt, and I'm going to do income-based repayment. And uh, I don't understand. I know that you're paying based on your income, but what happens to all the leftover debt? And people say that, you know, there's a lot of things sort of around tax bomb, things like that. So maybe if you, as we get dig into things here, now, not to term, dig into the plate. Uh, we can, you know, give us just a story of a, somebody graduated $500,000 of debt. They're going to make $130,000 a year as an associate. And what income-based repayment actually means. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, too, yeah, yeah. What, and, and how that works, how it applies. But, yeah, what is it, too, So yeah. for the people that, that aren't familiar with it? Yeah, yeah. So, so what I like to tell people is, in America, this is how you understand the, the big, giant mess that we have with student loans in America. 
the worst case scenario, your student loan debt is just a tax that you give the government in exchange for funding your education. So if you're an associate with 120K of income and 500K in debt, you can't really think about that 500K in debt as a debt. Otherwise, if you did, it would make you totally screwed. Because think about it, 500,000 in debt, that means paying $5,000 a month at $60,000 a year. Your take-home pay on 120K of income is probably going to be 80. So are you going to live on $20,000 a year and throw 60K at your debt? You're not going to do that. If you do, you're not going to get into a practice. You're not going to buy a house. You're not going to get married. And then what the heck did you become a dentist for, right? So that's, that's kind of the worst case scenario is that 500K is not actually a debt, it's a tax. So income-based repayment is a percentage of your adjusted gross income. It's a percentage of your taxable income, right? And it's 10% for most people of your taxable income. And then we'll talk about the tax bomb in, in a little bit. If you wanted to kind of simplify it, you know, you pay based off of your income for 20 to 25 years. At the end of those 20 to 25 years, you have to pay a big tax bomb on the forgiven debt because the forgiven debt is treated as if it were a bonus happening at, in that year all at once. So you have to pay, you know, say 30, 40, 50% on that forgiven debt all in one year. And, and here's the, the really interesting insight. So that 10% of your income payment, if you pair that with putting about 5% of your income into mutual funds and say a brokerage account, then you will probably have enough to cover that tax bomb. So what that means is if you look at the 10% towards the loans and the 5% towards your tax bomb that you're putting away in investments, the sum of that's about 15%. So here's the analogy that I'd like to make. If you're an associate making 120 k what you're essentially you know, doing is you're losing 15% of your income to the government in exchange for them paying for your dental education, right? And then the, the reality is, is if you look at Tax rates in Germany, they're like, you know, 50-something percent, and maybe in America, they're 30-something percent. So what I like to tell people is, because you went to dental school, worst-case scenario, you're basically like a German citizen, okay? You're, you're paying a higher tax rate. So does it make sense that you went to dental school and you're making $120,000 a year and losing 15% of it to taxes? Would you rather be that, or would you rather be the dental technician or the hygiene person making 60 k with no student on that? You know, clearly it's much, much better to be that associate with 120K and 500K of student loan debt because you have that potential for upside and worst case scenario, you're just losing a percentage of your income to the government, right? right? And what's even cooler is let's say you start crushing it. Let's say that, you know, they get some, some coaching, they get their mindset right, they go and open a, you know, a giant practice or acquire a giant practice and they increase the revenue even more. And let's say they're making $500,000 a year and they have $500,000 debt. Well, if you pay 10% of your income, you're going to pay the whole thing off at a higher interest rate than your credit risk really reflects. And so if you get to the point where, you know, you start having your payment be super high, where you start thinking, man, I sure wish I could get out of this tax, you know, then you can really kind of convert that payment into just a think of it, thinking of it like a debt. And you can just try to pay it off and you can get a lower interest rate through refinancing. And so that's really pretty pretty awesome if you think about it. I mean, as messed up as our system is, what we've essentially created is a system where we sort of have this socialized system where the person who borrowed the debt actually pays the extra taxes for it instead of all of society. And then also the government gives you the ability to kind of buy yourself out of that, you know, conundrum if you're making a lot of money by just paying it back as a debt. So really, that's that's pretty pretty great. Um, the the main the main problem, of course, is all of the tax revenue the government is collecting is not going to be nearly enough to cover all of the loan forgiveness that's going to happen. 
And so at some point they're going to realize that. And at some point they're going to realize they've created something, you know, kind of like a Medicare or social security, this giant entitlement program that they didn't fund. I mean, so it seems that's, like, that's it seems like Travis, that was a great explanation, but just as I try like, it seems like an extremely generous offer from the government. Is yeah. it, am I not looking at it more that, generous. the right way? Because if you make $150,000 a year as an associate and you're on income-based repayment, it's, you're going to feel like you make about 120, right? Right, right, exactly, yeah, yeah. And so actually the, the future of loan repayment, I would not be too shocked because because student loan repayment right now is basically a tax, this tax has been getting less and less impactful over the past 10 years, meaning that it started off where it was 20% of your income that you had to pay. It's called income contingent repayment. This is the only option that existed prior to like 2009. And, it, you know, 20% of your income, shoot, you know, you're going to pay the debt off at a really high interest rate, so you might as well just go ahead and pay it back. But then they made IBR in 2009, and IBR is 15% of your income, so they made it less, right? And then there was an executive order in about 2013 where they came out with the pay-as-you-earn program, and this is 10% of your income, but not everybody was eligible for it, okay? And that was 20 years until forgiveness instead of 25, right? And then in, in you know, the most recent, you know, uh, 2015, 2015-2016 timeframe, they came out with a revised pay, which is 10% of your income, but basically everybody's eligible for it. And it comes with some interest subsidies, too. So there's, there's a whole bunch of complexities that I don't want to get too drilled down into, you know, because like we'd be looking at things under a microscope and I'd probably lose some people. But the, the key thing to note, like, is just that this tax, if you will, has been getting, you know, more and more generous for borrowers over the past 10 years. So it's just been a one-way trip to making the repayment terms based on your income better and better and better in terms of if you have huge student debt and you're, you know, not making enough to just straight up pay it back. So, yeah, it's absolutely a concern uh, that, you know, it's, it's been getting not only is it generous, it's been getting more and more generous. So, you know, do they change that at some point? Right. That's cool. And I think what you said, you know, a few minutes ago, really what you're talking about with all this stuff and when you're making the decision, like looking at debt, you know, you said, don't, you know, don't look at it like it's $500,000 in debt. It's really, really an opportunity to, to make money. What we're really talking about is is cash flow, right? You know, that you're going to, to, to invest, you know, or, or take this loan to give you the opportunity to earn more money. And obviously, you know, you can be debt free, but what good is being debt free if your salary is much lower? So it's sort of like a, a theme that Paul and I talk about a lot that, that Paul says, I don't quote this because I can't, I don't have the, the street yeah. cred to say Dennis cheap, yeah, right. but you know, where, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of times I think people become obsessed with, you know, avoiding debt. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, how much, you know, the cash flow is more important than, than debt. I mean, debt is one aspect of, of the equation. But, you know, at the end of the day, if, if having some debt helps you to make more money, then that means you're going to have more profit. Absolutely. Um, I got a, I got a, I got an example of that if you want me to, to share it. Sure. Um, so, so there was a case where we had a dentist with about 150000 of income, doing pretty well as an associate, and uh, she wanted to open her own dental practice. And, you know, she did this before uh, talking to us. So this is kind of the danger of the DIY solution if you have a lot of debt. So she basically said, okay, I get all these things in the mail from these refinancing companies, so I'm going to go ahead and refinance my student loans, right? And so she refinanced it to, I think, like a seven-year term something like that. Yeah. And so she ended up having a required payment that she signed up for 
um, for of like, you know, $6,000 a month or something like that. Right. And so the reason she did that was because, well, she's got 400 K in debt at a 7% interest rate and she could get a, you know, 3.8% interest rate if she refinanced. And so she's thinking, I'm going to save, you know, I'm going to save like $12,000 a year or something, you know, 10,000 a year in interest or something like that. Right. And so she did that. And then the bank looks at her cash flow and is like, we don't want to give you a practice loan. We right. have a required payment of six grand a month. And then the, the banks look at her for a mortgage and they say, we don't want to give you a mortgage for a payment that you have to make of $6,000 a month. And so then what she did is because she was so myopically focused on the interest costs on her student loans, she prevented herself from getting a bigger shovel to go out and get a higher income by being a practice owner until she pays down that debt to getting a you know, a, a, you know, low enough level for the banks to not be concerned. And so what, what we kind of recommended in that situation is you can refinance from a seven year to a 20 year, you know, to reamortize the loan and get a lower required payment. And so that can take, you know, her payment from like 6,000 a month to maybe like 2,500 or $3,000 a month, something like that. And, uh, and so that kind of approach, um, and I think we might've suggested too, that she paid down that balance a little bit. So then when they do the amortization, it's going to be even lower required payment that kind of bailed her out of her mistake because she got a low enough debt payment that was required of her that she could still qualify for these things that were more important than just getting a lower interest rate. That's an awesome story. Yeah. And, you know, we see that often. And, you know, I've had several deals over the last few years where uh, people have, you know, had the misconception that, hey, I'll be uh, more bankable if I pay down my, my student loans more aggressively and just throwing money at their student loans, living in their parents' basement and not having any liquidity. And, you know, when banks go to make loans, they want to see that people have cash on hand. And really, so, you know, Travis, that's your story and the story I just just summarized really illustrate two things. And, and I think when people are thinking about buying a practice, one, they need to have cash, they need to have liquidity, they need to have money in the bank if they're going to get a loan. And then two, lenders don't really care about the debt itself, the size of the debt. What they care about is the monthly payment. You know, and They want to know right. what your obligation is to on that student loan debt, how much you owe for your car on a monthly basis, how much you owe on your on your mortgage, and then they want to make sure there's enough money to pay off uh, pay off the practice loan. If you have two hundred thousand dollars of student debt, four hundred thousand dollars of student debt, that really isn't the factor uh, in the when it comes to decision making uh, from from a lender standpoint. And so, people, I think you know. And I, I respect people's desire to want to, to to limit their debt or keep their debt as low as possible. I mean that that's a great thing. However, um, in the big picture, it's not as important as having cash and having cash flow. Yeah, yeah. What, what we usually tell people to do is, if they think that they're going to pay their debt down to zero, they can sign up for revised pay as you earn. And what that does is if you have a certain debt-to-income ratio, then the government will actually subsidize a portion of your interest while you owe more than a certain amount uh, of your uh, income to debt, you know? And so they can get a payment in that case for that 150000 uh income person. She could probably get a payment of around uh, 800 to to $1,000 a month, and she could probably get an effective interest rate after the subsidies are calculated at a similar level to as if she had refinanced. And that subsidy... Furthermore, is something that doesn't go away even if you're making extra prepayments on top of the loan balance. 
So for, for that kind of an example, I would tell that person to get on revised page one if, if she wanted to pay it down to zero instead of go for forgiveness, which is another conversation. But if she did that, then she could focus on liquidity and get $50,000 of cash in the bank. And then, you know, I do think that once you get 50000 of cash in the bank and you're putting a little away to retirement, if, if, you know, she, if she wanted to get throw a lot of money at her loans and, you know, pay down the balance, that's fine. Like, I don't have a problem with that. But we just want to make sure that the tail isn't wagging the dog, which is how a lot of dentists approach their student loan debt. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to say, and Rob said when I cash phrases, friends don't let friends be dentists cheap. And I have this thing I've been saying, I like to have these little acronyms, JFO, like just find out from someone who knows. I've seen dentists spend more time researching where they're going to go to dinner for their third anniversary rather than paying <laughs> off their loans. And it drives me nuts. And I'm not even related to this decision. Like, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just totally embrace my own incompetence in life but i don't i don't ever think i know what i don't know and there's people like you there's people like rob there's people like me in all different aspects yesterday on dental nachos i was driving me nacho nuts i said if you want to get an associate contract would you you know get a dental focused attorney you know would you ask a friend because this happened from a facebook message because someone said hey paul can i have a copy of your associate agreement i go that's not even a thing and i go so i did this it, poll. it is a masterpiece yeah, that you yeah. have, paul, I, I know right i did this poll and i was like guys, get it together. And one person goes, if I have money, I'll pay a lawyer. I go, if you don't have enough money to get an associate contract, you don't have enough money to hire an associate. She did say to her point, yeah. good point. So why are people making, like just find out from someone who knows a long-term life decisions. You know, people will research, I don't know, something that's just not important where they're going to go for their anniversary for dinner. And then they just do what they feel. They get something in the mail and they refinance loans or they, they print an associate contract off the internet or they buy a practice. Sometimes we're like, I wish I had talked to you before I bought the practice. I'm like, yeah, tell other people to do so because I always think that nothing bad can happen. If you're on the right track, that your advisor is going to say, good job, you're on the right track. If you're not on the right track, they're going to say, you're about to drive off a cliff. So, you know, I just, for, for people to be able to talk to you for a few hundred dollars, Travis, it's like it, people should be running these things by you because I've learned a lot just in these past 15 minutes that I never knew. Yeah, I mean, Travis, you're not charging enough. I'm going to say that right now. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, everything you just talked about, you know, with, with the, uh, the subsidies and the interest rates, all that stuff, like, how, Paul, there's no way that people could avail themselves of all that, all these programs, yeah. and know what's available. And as you said, why would they the want stuff to change? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's the classic. It's like you DIY something, you know, you can learn how to do it once, right? And this is kind of like what we talk about, you know, buying a dental practice. It's a one transaction, right? You get one crack at it. Even if you, you know, want to spend all this time to try to figure it out to do it once, it's like, okay. I'm never going to do this again. Right, yeah. Like it's just not. It's, it's also it's not, a, it's not a cost. It's that makes any sense. You know, like you know, you could, as opposed to go talk to somebody who has had you know represented somebody as as a lawyer, a CPA, uh, a student loan consultant who has has done this hundreds, maybe thousands of times, and just you know leverage know, you, you their know, their experience. You know, when things go off script, I'll, I'll I'm the only dentist in the room here, so I'll have to just stand up first. If I said, hey, Rob and Travis, I could show you how to bond in a veneer. It's a set of instructions. There's 10 <laughs> steps. Dentists would be like, they're never going to do it right. That's how you sound when you're going to do your own thing. Yeah, because right. you're not going to do it right. You're going to say, what's silene? I guess it's this thing. I'll rub it on the tooth. I mean... I, are, are, do people not? Do people have all this extra free time in their lives that where they want to try to research student loans and research <laughs> associate contracts? So, but Travis, I do want to say something. 
because I'm a really positive person and I like the positive aspect of the income-based repayment, but I've had Rob do some great presentations for me and I come up with the title like when bad deals happen uh, to good people. Tell us just where the income-based repayment goes awry, whether it's the behavior of the person not saving for the tax bomb or the concern that maybe they're going to change these rules because it, it sounds like a great path, but just is, is there any time where people get some drop nachos on this path? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and just, you know, a quick point on that. Like, I mean, we're, we're trying to be kind of the vanguard of the Starbucks of, of this world in the sense that, you know, it, a lot of the people don't talk to me. They talk to our team. So we've got, you know, three or four uh, consultants, too. Um, so, you know, the, the idea is, you know, uh, a lot of things don't charge enough for their product. But if you can make it efficient enough and, and really hone the process and reduce the cost and do thousands of it, that's kind of what we're trying to do. Um, but, but in terms of the, the question about, um, the, you know, the future of this and like, where is this going to go bad? Um, to give you one example, if somebody needs to go for forgiveness, then the dumbest thing you can do is pay extra every month on your loans. So a, an example of this is, for example, let's say that person is going to be a long-term associate, that 150K income, 400K borrower, and she just wants to be an associate for her whole career, uh, then that 400K is probably going to grow, not as people think, because some real reasons the student debt doesn't compound on the federal system so that 400k will probably grow to like six or 700k over the course of the 20 years and then she'll have to pay taxes on that forgiven balance so basically the interest literally just grows at the simple rate of interest and so what happens is is a dentist will say i got an extra thousand bucks a month i could be putting on my loans and i'm going to go through this income-based thing so but i'm just going to put extra on it and so what they do is they pay the thousand dollars extra a month that's twelve thousand dollars a year so all that did was save them taxes on $12,000 20 years from now. So, you know, you, you paid like $1,000 a month now, and that $1,000 is coming off of your forgiven balance after the end of the 20 years, and you're saving $400 of taxes on that $1,000 a month you're paying, and you're also saving that $400 in $400 of 20 years from now dollars instead of today's dollars. So that's probably like, you know, even cheaper in today's dollars if you adjust for purchasing power. So basically, like, if you're going to go for forgiveness, freaking go for forgiveness and don't screw around because we see people do that all the time. And basically what they're doing is trading a dollar for 15 cents. I mean, if you thought about that as making an investment, you kind of did it reverse. You would never make that investment. You know, like, I'll, yeah. right. I'll, I'll, yeah. you know, I will I will put this money up for, for, the, uh, for the, the right to receive a tax break 20 years from now. You know, it's like that would be like right. a, a bad retirement foolish, right? Yeah, and there's another thing, too. Another big thing is this. What a lot of the dentists do is, uh, you know, I don't know, Paul, how it was back in the day, but a lot of dentists like spending money. Is that still a thing? We, we still do. Yeah, yeah, we do. We, we, we feel we earned yeah. it. It's like when I feel like I go to the, when I work out for 20 minutes, I feel I deserve a lot nachos that were 40 minutes of working out. So that's a problem. And so I, 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 we, we feel like we deserve it. It's not easy to be back there doing the little class twos in the back of the mouth. So we like to treat ourselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so the, the, what, what, where I see things thing really go awry is what I've found is actually if you want to have a really high savings rate, it actually does not matter that much if you decide to inefficiently pay back all your student loan debt or if you decide to invest it. It kind of works out similarly, even if the you know student loan thing should tell you to do forgiveness. If people just say, says you know screw it, I'm going to just pay it back anyway, that actually doesn't have nearly as big of an impact as having a higher savings rate does. So what happens is people will do the income-based plan, and what they will do is that gives them a way lower cash flow, so that improves their cash flow, and they might become an, you know, an owner because of that, 
And but what then what they do is they take that as a license to spend, right? And so instead of that money that should be going into your mutual funds to cover your future tax burden, or instead of it going into retirement to increase your assets, or going into investing in a second location or growing the practice that you have, they just take it and they spend the money. And if you do that, and that is a, a recipe for uh, not disaster, but it's a recipe for hold the handpiece until you're 70 years old. Yeah, that's 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 a, that's a really good point, and maybe this is a good time. I'm a big Seinfeld fan. I don't feel like Seinfeld, uh, but there was a funny episode where they said we want to buy a present for this guy Joe Mayo, and Kramer said that sounds like a wonderful idea, but this Joe Mayo guy sounds made up. This forgiveness thing—it sounds made up. I mean, if I lent a hundred dollars to Daphne and she was paying me off a penny a month, one point I'm just going to be like, "Don't worry about it, Daphne." So who's telling these people, these students with debt? Don't worry about it. You're cool now. I, I, this boggles my mind. So I'd love for someone for you to just walk me through what loan forgiveness is. I mean, you know, th- this idea of paying based on your income has been around for a long time. And, you know, but the problem is, is if you did it from a from an investor's perspective, like if the private market did this, they would only make this deal for people that were actually going to have an income, right? When the federal government does it, the federal government does not have an incentive to really care about what is someone's income, are they actually going to get paid back? So the accounting on this is so bad, it's not even funny. Like if you read some of the reports and the projections of student loan forgiveness when it first came out about what the government was expecting that they were going to make on their money, uh, it's laughable. Because what you've basically done is if you allow people to pay based on your income and you charge people 7% interest, what's going to happen is the people with the really bad debt-to-income ratios where it's better to pay a penny on 500 grand every month, those people are all going to stay in the federal system. And then all the people that are making 500 grand with 200K of debt from an in-state dental school, they're all going to go to a private company and refinance their rate from 7% to 4%, right? And so what's happened is the government projected that all of that 7% interest income was going to stay on the books, which obviously that's not true. And they also did not take into account the fact that a lot of people are going to have this huge incentive to go for forgiveness, and the schools especially have zero worries and care at nothing at all about charging people as much as they possibly can get away with legally charging without going to prison. You're playing I with mean, the house's I'm money, little, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm being a little facetious there because, you know, I mean, obviously there's some in a lot of cases are spending on things that are, you know, I mean, you could make an argument that it's good for research or something like that. But, I mean, in some of these cases, you know, they're charging people 700 grand for four years of dental school. That's what the new projected number is for NYU, for example, based on our internal calculations. So, I mean, it's just there's no cap on federal borrowing at all. And so some of the schools figure this out and they said, well, shoot, if there's no cap. Let's just, you know, like you said, the house money, right? Just run, run the number up as big as we possibly can. And as long as the students are paying based on their income, they never feel it. So it doesn't really matter what we charge for school. So that's the, that's the big problem that's been created. And the internal estimates of, you know, how much is this going to cost the taxpayer are totally wrong. And, like, the, the Government Accountability Office has done a couple studies showing people that they're, you know, trying to bring attention to this problem. Like, for example... Uh, if you believe this, some of the loan servicers were not verifying family size because you, you pay also kind of based on how big your family is. If you have a bigger family, they give you a bigger deduction, right? It's very, very tax-based kind of system that's income-based repayment. So there's a couple people, believe it or not, that had certified their family size as having a family size of 93. Oh. 
I mean, Travis, uh, I got to point this out for my listeners and you. Maybe I always want to be an actor. I want to be like George Clooney in ER, but I couldn't act. But maybe we got to start a movie. We're going to call it, Rob, you, me and you are going to star in it called The Big Dental School Short. Have you seen The Big Short? Because they were giving mortgages to dogs. And this sounds exactly right. like that. I mean, yeah. I mean, this sounds exact. They're just saying, how many people in your family? Just write it down on this piece of paper. I mean, <laughs> who's driving this this whatever you call this crazy bus where they're giving the money to the dental schools and if they never yeah, get the I money mean, they, back it's not going to affect everybody or it's going to affect everybody in 10 years or so yeah i mean so like student loans are 1.6 trillion and mortgages are 8 8 trillion right so i mean student debt is, is big but it's it's not you know housing crisis level um and you know i mean in terms of, of the risk that it poses i would actually argue that you know, Social Security, Medicare, those unfunded liabilities are going to be a bigger bill. This is just another giant bill that the government is not really preparing for, right? So it just kind of fits that narrative of just having these massive bills in the future that we're not really thinking about. Um, but, you know, in terms of the, how this is going on, I mean, you know, the Grad Plus program, uh, a lot of the dentists listening probably have Grad Plus student loans. That program was initiated in 2006, so that there was uncapped borrowing uh, for federal student loans. And then income-based repayment kind of came onto the scene in 2007 to 2009. And so each successive policy change has made this, you know, kind of a perfect storm of problems, right? And so really somebody needs to come in probably and just say, okay, the maximum debt that you're allowed to borrow for dental school is $200,000 and that's it. You know, if somebody came in and did that, probably I would estimate maybe 25% of the dental schools would probably close or would admit probably 50 or, you know, 50 to 80% fewer students. Um, and the, you know, that would seize up the supply a little bit, which would probably help up, uh, you know, help prevent some of this sort of corporatization of dentistry that's going on with DSOs and probably protect practice owners a little bit from just, you know, the race to the bottom in terms of fees. Um, I will say that in dentistry, it's not nearly as bad as some other professions. So here's a little fun one, just because I know dentists like to compare each other to other people, you know, that they, you know, that they know. It's always good when so, your boat is sinking, if someone else's boat is sinking f- faster, because you're like, that makes me feel oh, great. Yeah, what like, about your boat? I just am happy. Exactly, I'm such a bad exactly. person. I'm happy someone else's boat is sinking, <laughs> sinking faster. It's the old, when yeah. you got a D on a test and you heard someone failed, you said, all right. I'm yeah, in good shape. So bad. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking pretty good. Yeah, even though this had no impact yeah, on reality yeah. in any way, shape, or form, just your emotions. But yeah, tell us who's yeah. worse off. Yeah, so don't go to pharmacy school. So 15 years ago, the pharmacy school acceptance rate was about 30 something percent. So it's pretty hard to get into pharmacy school. You could get, you know, 120, 150K kind of income. Uh, life was good, you know, good hours, low stress. But now, the pharmacy schools, like in contrast to sort of the dental schools, the pharmacy school accreditation body did a really poor job. And so they just basically let anybody that wanted to open a pharmacy school. Now, there have been some new dental schools and larger class sizes, but not nearly as bad as in the pharmacy world. So the acceptance rate for pharmacy school now is closing in on, I think, 88%. So you, you went from a world where, you know, it was pretty hard to become a pharmacist to literally you know, do you speak English? Okay, great. You can be a pharmacist. It's <laughs> you not know? an exclusive so club. Yeah, you're right. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so there, you're having a lot of problems now where the, there's this giant unemployment rate rising among pharmacists where it's really becoming a crisis in that profession. And the answer that the profession had was, hey, good news. We're going to create all these residency programs 
where you know we'd have to pay a full-time pharmacist. We used to be paying that person a hundred to hundred twenty thousand dollars. Now we're going to create three residency positions for forty thousand dollars, and we're going to convince everybody that they need to do a two-year residency uh, to become a pharmacist because we're going to get a lot of free labor out of you. So that is uh, a really really bad situation that's brewing in that profession, and that's directly caused by the uncapped student loan borrowing that's just allowed tons of people to come in and just flood the market by opening new pharmacy schools. At least dentists have somewhat capped the numbers. Uh, you know, the schools that are, you know, are just you know charging way, way, way more per seat. So they at least have the common sense enough to not just jack up the, the number of, of uh, you know, available seats just tenfold like, there, like there's been in, you know, kind of the pharmacy world, the legal world, you could say in some situations. Um, so dentistry is still a good profession. It definitely has its challenges, right? Um, you know, if you, if you want to make it, you know, as dentists and really make a good amount of money, you have to have, kind of have to have a business plan and try to avoid these saturated areas. That's really where the problems are happening is the schools that have expanded their class sizes, like, you know, in New York or Southern California, people that are staying there, there's just no jobs for them except, you know, being an associate, making 110, 120K, working your tail off or buying, you know, a dental practice, competing with everybody else. So you're paying this huge elevated valuation. Meanwhile, I talk to people out of the way places like Wisconsin, Oklahoma, Minnesota, Texas, that are in some cases making, you know, half a million to a million dollars a year, you know, in, in, in some situations. I want to say something for the record. I don't know what that means, but Rob says it a lot, so I like to say it. So this is the record, and I want, you know, maybe somebody listening to this podcast five years from now. And I, for some reason, and Rob knows me well, sometimes on Facebook, people call me negative Nelly. We'll start wearing Bandit on my face. Bandit on my face. Who said that? Because they, I share this world, and when there's no face and you just type things on Facebook, it, people are reading in their own voice. Like, I don't ever text my wife, we're out of paper towels, because that could be disconstrued as I am uh, criticizing the number of paper towels. So it's exactly the same way. And I put some notes here about, first, I don't know if anyone's read The Rooster Bar by John Grisham, but I'll give you a summary of it. Yeah, I did read that. It's a law school that's opened up just to charge students, and they didn't have any jobs from at the end. So it should be called The Dental School Rooster Bar, I believe, because <laughs> I am on the front lines maybe one of the only people on this line, if anybody wants to join me, they can, trying to get dental, young dentist jobs. Sometimes I get paid, sometimes I don't get paid. And what I'm sharing with is, I call myself Nacho Harry Markopoulos. You know who that is, Harry Markopoulos? No. Harry Markopoulos was the guy who said that Madoff was running a scam for five years and nobody listened to him. Okay. And then they're like, yes, it was a total scam. Right. So he's looking up, he's an interesting story. I see a world in the next few years where there's a significant number of unemployed new grads because my sense, my nacho sense from dentists working longer, dentists selling to DSOs, mad owners that have nice practices like, like, but I actually, I have a lot of dentists working with me, so I'm not a good example. A solo mad owner who only has a part-time associateship, I see a perfect storm, like you said, Travis, of some real employment issues. And dentists who work in areas that they like will say, go rural, just like you said, Travis, and that's right, right? Go to Wisconsin. But we should be telling people applying to dental school if they have to move anywhere in the country, that's a big part of their career. So it doesn't mean don't become a dentist, but right now we have dentists and I get inbox messages all the time. I have a job and you know they can't cover my guarantee and they're gonna stop, you know, stop with my guarantee. And when I post it on Facebook, some dentists will shout out, go rural. But what does that mean? How are these jobs even being advertised? So I think we need to pull back and take a broader picture look at what the life is like for a new dentist so we can help them. And what you said is great and share with them the reality before they're thrust out in minute one of a 60 
minute or 60 uh, year NFL dentisting career. Yeah, yeah. Well, one one kind of point with that, just to play a little devil's advocate. So one opportunity that could exist with DSOs is for people who really have passions for other things besides dentistry. You know, with these income-based prepayment programs, you can pay based on your income, right? So if you're working three days a week making $80,000, you can pay about $500 a month on your student loans and just be saving, you know, a few hundred dollars a month for that tax bomb. And you can completely cover your student loan burden. And so what I would posit is of all the jobs in the world today, how many jobs out there allow you to work two or three days a week making sixty to $80,000 and losing maybe 10, 15% of it to taxes? So a lot of people don't think that way because they think they've got this big student debt. I've got to work six days a week, which if you want to do that, that's certainly great. But, you know, there, there are some there's, there are some some options for people that are really feeling like they're struggling uh, that don't want to be practice owners because that not everybody does. And, uh, you know, like, for example, I'll give you one really great example. Just recently, we had an orthodontist who was making, I want to say, like 250K. And she was just like, she had like, I think four or five kids. And she's like, honestly, I just want to spend more time with my kids. Like, I like being an orthodontist, but I like spending time with my kids more. And my husband makes a lot less than me, so I got to work. And I said, well, have you ever thought about this strategy, you know, of, of basically paying based on your income, doing this income-based program so you can go to three days a week and make 150K? She's pretty frugal. She didn't need the 250K income. She was just working full-time because she had the big debt. She thought she had to, right? So I, I do think that there could be a lot of part-time hours handed out, a lot of unemployment. Um, but the, the solution to that is to really utilize these income-driven repayment programs, even, you know, for startups. I mean, people that want to take a flyer on doing a startup, uh, you know, all you need is that liquidity. If you have 100 k of cash and you move to, you know, Iowa or some random place like that, if you have connections somewhere where you feel like you'd be happy living there, uh, you can take out, you know, a couple hundred dollars, get started doing a practice, and uh, your student loan payment can be subsidized at 50% on your interest with this repay program paying $0 a month until the practice is successful. So yeah. I think that, you know, I, I, I like to think of the creative and really interesting options that exist out there for dentistry in the, in the future. Uh, but, yeah, like that, if, you're, if you are thinking with the traditional mindset and everything, uh, I, I agree with you. I think there could be some serious employment problems. We just have to tell people, because I'm just a big awareness person, and I wanted to be a, a college professor for many years, wear, wear a jacket with, a, you know, what are the arm patches. And uh, I knew I'd have to move anywhere, and I didn't want to do that. I just think we should be telling young people who are getting into a career. And one of the things is that dental school is a very stressful four years, and it doesn't mean you have to make a ton of money afterwards, but you put a lot of your whole life existence into four years and if you have to tell if, if young people have to move away from their friends and family into a place where they don't know anybody to do a stressful job where there's no residencies they just need to be fully aware of what that life is like so that they can make the best decision for themselves and i just think you're doing an awesome job and hopefully rob and i are are too in just sharing this awareness because that's the reality and it doesn't mean it's a debbie downer or gloom and doom it just means that the the nature of this industry is changing and i think since dennis working in isolated areas like eric cornelius said like caves we just don't share this information enough and there's a lot of older dentists are totally unaware that this is happening well i think no, too that right. it's, i think it's right. interesting you know when you talk about planning and i think it's it's great travis that you guys have a service where you will counsel people prior to going to dental school you know, I think that right. when you're at that stage where you're ready to go to dental yeah. school, you need to know what you're signing yourself up for. What you know, what are you? What what is? What's the expectation? Where can you work? And, and is it some place that's going to be lucrative? How much money do you want to make? How much money do you need to make? 
And, you know, is this a possible scenario and how can it play out? Because we have this conversation with clients in a lot of different uh, contexts, whether, you know, they're buying into a practice, hiring an associate, uh, buying a practice, or even, you know, let's take it one step further, deciding whether or not to go to dental school. If you don't do this kind of planning beforehand, you're basically saying, I will take what's behind door number two. Yeah. What's behind door number two? I don't know. I guess we'll find out, you know, after I start school, after I hire that associate, after I buy into this practice. And, you know, it's just reckless, yeah. you know, and, and those true. people, a lot of times things will work out, you know, and it's great. Sometimes things don't work out so great. Sometimes it's a total disaster, you know, but in the, you know, quote unquote, the good news is that. The dental industry still has very very low failure rate but yeah. we've talked about this paul that yeah. you know there's a difference between you know not failing and thriving and you know just because you're servicing your bank loans uh for your practice acquisition or your student loan debts and you're still able to feed yourself and your family does not make you a success story you know but I think it's so important what you guys are saying. I think people really need to take note of this. And hopefully anybody that is listening, that is considering whether or not to embark on this journey, you need to really be, uh, you need to be realistic as to what your realistic options are and, Travis, and what they are from a cash Travis, standpoint. what you said was perfect. I mean, I, I'm just a really person. I can embrace reality really well. And I'm not a super emotional person. That's why a lot of people go, go to me to help them because I can put myself in their shoes. If someone told me I want to be a dentist, I want to take out the maximum amount of loans, and they said I'd be willing to move to any of the 50 states, I say, go for it. You're going to be successful because there might be that job right. in Iowa. But there's there's another problem that I just want to bring up is that when these young dentists are finishing dental school, and dental school does such a bad job with career development, how do they even find out that the jobs are available in these rural places? So that's just a whole part. I'm how, I have uh, some services that I try to create to help solve this. But one of the problems is I don't even know how to find find these jobs. So if somebody has a job in Maine and is looking for an associate that can make $250,000 and someone who went to University of Texas would move there, I have no idea how they get connected with that job. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you just have to pay attention and listen to podcasts like that. I mean, I mean, you know, be part of your Facebook group, like, you know, be, be plugged in. I mean, the dentist, to really care and pay attention. I mean, there's the ones that get those opportunities. That's right? what we start with, Rob. Let's start with this. I, I, I do this. We'll, we'll announce a job at the beginning of every show. If you're looking <laughs> to work in Erie, PA, you can do it. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should, you should do it. You should do a pre-roll every, every, every show you do a, you know, an ad, you know, the desperate dentist job plug or something like that. You know, we'll <laughs> move to Paul, the Paul's taking Oklahoma notes, Travis, as, yeah, as you like speak. <laughs> job Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that I agree with you on the, on the having the right, understanding of what you're getting yourself into. But, but one thing that I'll say is no matter if you totally screwed, let's say you totally screwed yourself over, right? You're 600 K in debt, you know, because you're from LA and you went to USC and you used to have always wanted to live in Southern California and you saw your uncle driving a Porsche and he's a dentist. And so you thought, okay, I'm going to go to dental school and that'd be a good life. And you come out, you're making 120 K working six days a week at a DSO in Southern California. I mean, the, the rule about becoming an owner still is true. I mean, you're still better off being an owner. You might, you might make, you know, uh, you know, a lot less money and you might work a lot harder than some other fields out there, but you'll still do pretty well. I mean, you know, 150 to 200 K income in Southern California, uh, that's re you know, realistic as, as an owner. And that's a lot more money than, you know, you would make as a, 
you know, just general project manager at some corporate place and you've got a lot lower risk of getting laid off. So I totally agree with you about knowing on the front end. The problem is, is uh, <laughs> I don't know if you believe this, but one time I posted on SBN, you know, that kind of popular oh, yeah. uh, forum for mm-hmm. people looking to go to school. And I just said, you know, I basically said that. I said, you got to be really freaking aware of this problem if you're going to go because it's not nearly what you think it is. And I just got lit up. I mean, it was actually one of the most controversial posts, I think, ever in the dental the pre-dental section of the of the site. And, uh, uh, you know, a huge number of people were so grateful and a huge number of people wanted to be banned from the site. And it was just so interesting. And all these comments are like, you know, this guy is an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. My uncle's a dentist. He makes, you know, 500K a year. And uh, and I'm like, okay, like, do you know how to read a P&L and, like, understand what the difference between revenue and net income is? <laughs> and and also, you know, do you also uh, know the difference of, you know, going back in 1970 and buying dental school tuition and practice prices in 1970 versus buying that practice today? You know, I mean, it was it was interesting. So you, uh, even uh, when you try to help people, people don't want to hear it in some uh, cases. Amen. You know, yeah. uh, speaking from experience, people do not like to hear bad news, Travis. It's <laughs> like telling my yeah. five-year-old she's really not going to be one of those characters from The Descendants when she grows up. She's going to really be upset with me now, but it's the truth. But she's five, not 25. So I've, I've dealt right. with that. The three of us here have dealt with that and sharing awareness and reality and attempt to help and getting some blowback there. But then those people come back later and say, oh, that guy was really was... Uh, was had my best interest at heart. And that's just, you know, I, I appreciate you helping us. Travis, I've learned a lot because just sharing awareness, I just think is such, so key at this time in the dental school uh, life cycle or the dental industry life cycle. Yeah, Travis, we really would love what you're doing. And, you know, so how, uh, how can people get in touch with you and, and learn more about uh, Student Loan Planner? Yeah, so reach out, help at studentloanplanner.com. One of our, you know, CFP, CFA consultants will reach out to you. It's not me personally. Um, and then we'll tell you, you just make sure you tell us a lot about your situation so we can tell you if we think you're a good candidate for the consult service or, or not. Um, and then just in terms of getting the education, uh, we have the Student Loan Planner podcast. So, you know, I'm assuming anybody listening to this likes podcasts. So we have a podcast where we give a lot of this information away for free. So we have, you know, con- we, we do uh, interviews with, you know, you know, dental specialists, general dentists. Uh, you know, obviously other people too bring on, you know, a variety of different financial experts just for people struggling with big student loan debt. So that'd be definitely something to, to look at, you know, in any place you listen to podcasts. And then finally, the website, studentloanplanner.com has got tons of free info on there. If you scroll all the way to the bottom, you'll actually see we have a whole section on dentists. You probably have like 40 articles written specifically for dentists struggling with student loan debt. So uh, whether you go kind of the free version, <laughs> you try to do the DIY option. <laughs> I know we were kind of making jokes about that earlier, but I don't have a problem with people that want to get educated first. And then if you decide to, you know, get a kind of a custom plan, that's great too. You know, um, at the end of the day, we just want people to be more informed. Uh, and and I and I think one one thing I was thinking about when y'all were talking about that earlier is part of the gap is trust. Dentists just don't know who to trust because there's so many kind of slime balls out there. You know what I mean? That are just trying to sure. make a quick, you know quick buck. Uh, so I think that's a good way to do it is maybe test out some of that free content or listen to some shows and, and, and just kind of, you know, gauge somebody's sincerity based off of that. And then once you're kind of over that hump, then you can decide, okay, it makes sense to pay for this person because they, you know, they can really help. Me. Well, that's, that's the best client. You know, we're in the same boat. You know, you want people to be informed, you want them to be educated so that they can understand, you know, what questions to ask, understand the process. But you know, uh, as we always say, that's not a substitute for actually following through and engaging somebody that that can help you uh, help you do that. And you know, the things that some of the things that you talked about today and what I see on your website, these are not 
things that people can possibly expect to navigate. You know, they can try. They might be okay. But, you know, you can also make some really expensive uh, mistakes. And, you know, with some of these things, you don't get a chance to, you don't get a mulligan. Totally. Really yeah. great stuff, Travis. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for being on the show and taking the time, Travis. Keep up the good work. Yeah, thank, thank, thanks for having me on. I'm going to go plow down some pork nachos here later. <laughs> awesome. Some great uh, suggestions and, uh, and pointers there and what, what not to do from, from Travis. Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of you know, unveiled or pulled back the curtain on what we need to know. Student loans is just another, another piece of our dental world where it's valuable to know it even if you don't have student loans because you're dealing with associates and you might be involved with practice purchases and just need to know what uh, the current state of debt is. Yeah, well, well, people's economic state becomes, you know, your associate's problem becomes your problem. Yeah, for sure. Too, right? Uh, and I think, you know, he really, I think we got like the tip of the iceberg as to some of the, the details and all the minutia of, you know, what these different programs look like yeah. and the differences. And, you know, I understood what he was saying, but it's, you know, it's such a classic case. It's, the, people should not be DIYing this. Nope. You know, because. You really the 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 decisions can uh, and the mistakes can be really expensive. I mean, and if you're going to plan uh, your uh, ride, the which ride you're going to go on at Disney World, you probably should plan which you know how you're going to pay your loans. So get this information if you're going to dental school, if you're first or second year, you know it's just important you know wherever you are to know what you're going to be facing. Yeah, and I hadn't didn't realize that they would counsel people with you know the pre debt. Uh, yeah, that's great. Decisions, which yeah, that's it. You know, before you sign yourself up for this, as I said, you know, it's, otherwise you're just like picking what's behind door number two and. And uh, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time and money before you before that door opens yeah. to see what it actually is. And um, you know, like anything else, you know, it's all financial planning and, and making good decisions with you know with data and information and with you know people that are knowledgeable uh, you know, consultants that that have done it hundreds, thousands of times. Who you know all day, every day. That's what. Travis and his people are doing are following this stuff, tracking it and thinking about, you know, better ways to, to serve their clients and better ways for people to plan their student debt and, you know, leverage that. Yeah. I just, just find out from someone who knows it's my new catchphrase. If you're going to run a marathon and get up like you and Mark Casas at 4am and I just want to finish it, I could just, you know, go online and find out how to you know train. But if it's the marathon that determines my financial future, hire a coach, yeah. you know, Right. Yeah. It seems, uh, in that context, it seems obvious, right? Yeah. But I think sometimes people lose sight of that. So, uh, thanks. Uh, it's always fun, Paul. Yeah. Great one, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the dental amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.